The opinions expressed in this episode do not necessarily reflect those of the Murderish podcast. Sensitive topics are discussed. Listener discretion is advised. Two prominent Massachusetts doctors who dedicated their careers to enhancing patients' quality of life both found brutally murdered in their high-rise Boston penthouse in May of 2017. They had everything going for them. An upcoming wedding, plans for a surprise vacation getaway, and an extravagant lifestyle reflecting all of their hard work. Why would anyone want to cause them harm? Was this a random attack or did someone have a bone to pick with one or both of them? As investigators scrambled for answers, the who of the crime was a lot more straightforward than the why. This is Jamie, and you're listening to Murderish. Join me as we unravel the savage double homicide of Richard Field and Lena Belenos one detail at a time. case brings us to Boston, Massachusetts, specifically South Boston, referred to by locals as Southie. The neighborhood has a lot of history. During the Revolutionary War, its fortified military base, Fort Independence, was the site of the first conflict between British forces and American soldiers. It remains standing to this day, making it the oldest continually fortified granite site in what was once British-occupied North America. Irish Catholic immigration also played a pivotal role in South Boston's past. In 1901, the area boasted the very first annual St. Patrick's Day Parade in the country. By contrast, in the 1970s and 80s, Southie saw its share of violence between rival Irish gangs, most infamously the Winter Hill Gang led by James Whitey Bulger whose story was featured on Murderish in a recent episode. Working-class Irish immigrants filled the shipyards, foundries, and factories that were built in the neighborhood. Industrial manufacturing essentially took over, with warehouses and packing plants towering over residential buildings. Some of the nation's oldest public housing projects remain there. Currently, South Boston is more ethically diverse than it used to be though its residents are still predominantly white. It is considered a desirable area for young professionals and families due to its proximity to public transit. Gentrification has also made it a relatively safe part of Boston. Southie has become the site of trendy, upscale housing. Long-standing factories and manufacturing plants have been converted into open-concept lofts, which can cost upwards of several million dollars. Richard Field and his fiancée, Lena Belenos, lived in this type of building, on Dorchester Avenue, a street that spans from the southernmost region of downtown Boston to Milton, a neighboring suburb. Today, Dorchester Avenue is lined with boutique condos and sprawling high-rises, most of which only the wealthy can afford. The couple lived in the McKellen Building, deemed by the owners as one of Boston's most luxurious, amenity-filled loft-style luxury properties on the real estate website Luxury Boston. 
The property features an on-site gym, movie screening facilities, a rooftop pool, and 24-hour security. Richard and Lena owned a penthouse condo on the 11th floor of the McKellen, enjoying a lifestyle most would envy. While neither doctor flaunted their wealth to patients, their financial status was reflected through frequent international trips and flashy material possessions. Richard S. Field was born in Hammersmith, West London, sometime around 1968. Little has been shared publicly of his early life. When he was still a teenager, Richard and his younger brother Jason emigrated with their mother to the United States. As the sons of a single parent, Jason shared with the Boston Globe how he and Richard learned very quickly that we could live an amazing life in this country if we worked hard and planned ahead with clear and concise goals. Richard returned to England for university, graduating from the University of Sheffield Medical School with a certification in anesthesiology. He reunited with his family in Boston and soon got accepted into Massachusetts General Hospital's fellowship program. At the program's completion, he earned an additional board certification in pain management. Now Dr. Field, he served as an attending pain physician and then as director of anesthesia for plastic surgery at Boston's Brigham and Women's Hospital. The prolific doctor also played a pivotal role in developing an interventional pain program at the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute. The crowning glory of Richard's career, so to speak, came in 2010. That year, he and his partner, Dr. Manesh Patel, founded a new practice called North Shore Pain Management. It was based in Beverly, a few towns over from Salem, Massachusetts. As stated on the practice's website, Dr. Field envisioned providing advanced, evidence-based, multidisciplinary, and cost-effective pain management in an effort to reduce patient suffering while improving their function and quality of life. At some point, Richard became an instructor at Harvard Medical School. He lectured on pain management and anesthesia, fortifying the respect of colleagues and students alike. That's where he met Lena Belenos a student in one of his anesthesiology classes. Lena would go on to become an instructor at Harvard herself, teaching pediatric anesthesiology. She was a native of Columbia, where she studied general medicine before emigrating to the Boston area in 2001. She had started out her career with a fellowship at Tufts Medical School. One thing was certain, Lena adored children. In 2011, she began working at Mass Eye and Ear, a specialty clinic with Harvard's Mass General Brigham Teaching Hospital. She was devoted to treating young, vulnerable patients with limitless compassion. Her positive outlook and bubbly personality made Lena very well-liked among colleagues, parents, and even the shyest young patients. Lena's wide social circle led her to crossing paths with Richard Field another overseas transplant. Richard and Lena realized immediately how much they had in common and began dating in 2014. Despite there being an 11-year age gap between them, they truly seemed destined for one another. They bought a lavish condo in South Boston's stylish Seaport District, with Richard regularly making the 40-minute commute north to his practice in Beverly. 
In 2016, the pair got engaged, with Lena receiving a flashy Tiffany engagement ring. This was wonderful news to both sets of family and friends. Everyone was genuinely happy for the glowing, well-matched couple. Both Richard and Lena's social media pages were littered with photos documenting their travels, posed together at social events, or displaying their mutually goofy sense of humor. They looked forward to a very bright future together, with great company, good times, and more international adventures. According to The Guardian, they had planned to marry in Colombia so Lena's family could attend the wedding. It never occurred to them that someone they probably only interacted with a handful of times would end up changing everything. Over 7,000 miles away in Africa, Bapamim Texira was born into the world. It was the late 1980s, around the same time a young Richard Field was deep into his fellowship at Harvard Medical School. But in Guinea-Bissau, a West African country that is largely rural and considered one of the poorest countries in the world, Texira was born into a family of six. Before he reached the age of one, his father left the family, leaving Texira's mother to raise four children on her own. Her best friend, Maria Luisa Texira, stepped in to help. They were such close friends, Maria Luisa decided to move in with the family. Together they co-parented all of the children, with Maria Luisa acting as a surrogate mother since the boy was a toddler. In 2002, Texira's biological mother passed away when he was just 14 years old. That's when Maria Luisa decided to adopt him. By 2002, with Texira then old enough to fend for himself, Maria Luisa decided to move to Boston. He stayed behind, moving to Cape Verde, an island country off Africa's west coast, and attended Jean Paget University as a psychology major. In 2010, at the age of 24, Texira decided to join his adoptive mother in Boston. With the help of Maria Luisa, he obtained permanent resident status in the U.S. Their happy reunion, however, was short-lived. After just a year of living together, Texira abruptly decided it wasn't working. He moved out and severed all contact with his adoptive mother from then on. According to CNN, Maria Luisa used Texira's social security number to track him down. She discovered he was staying in a homeless shelter in the Boston suburb of Cambridge. Despite her best efforts, her son refused to see her the first time she went to the shelter and a year later when she tried again. He clearly wanted to leave behind all traces of his former life in Africa. In October of 2015, Texira was employed by Palladian Services, a Boston-based concierge and security company. By that time, he had found low-income housing in Chelsea. Palladian was contracted with CL Properties at the time, the realty group that owned the McKellen Building. Various sources confirmed Texeria worked in the McKellen Building for just three weeks. It isn't clear why his employment with the company was so short-lived. May 5, 2017 started off like any other day. Lena and Richard went to work at their respective clinics, 
with Lena finishing out her day slightly earlier because she worked just 15 minutes away. Video footage shows Lena picking up two packages in the building's lobby before taking the elevator up to her 11th floor penthouse around 5 p.m. Richard could be seen entering the building an hour and a half later at around 6.30 p.m. It was the last time either of them would be seen alive. If you're just coming off a long quarantine and can't imagine going back to work wearing uncomfortable pants to the office, you're not alone. Beta Brand has a really stylish collection of pants that are totally professional but also so comfortable. Their dress pant yoga pants feel just like my favorite yoga pants, but they look like a million bucks. Beta Brand's pants don't dig into my sides like other work slacks. They are so easy to move around in. And there's a style of Beta Brand pants for everyone. They have boot cut, straight legs, skinny, cropped, and more. Oh, and they now have denim and joggers too. I bought a pair of Beta Brand yoga denim pants and I've been wearing them nonstop. Not only can I actually breathe in them, but I feel like I'm walking around in yoga pants. It's the perfect mix of style and functionality. Brand new styles are launched weekly on Beta Brand's website, so you can always keep your look fresh. Right now, my listeners can get 30% off your first Beta Brand order when you go to betabrand.com murderish. That's 30% off your first order for a limited time at betabrand.com murderish. Find out why women are ditching typical work pants for Beta Brand's dress pant yoga pants. Go to betabrand.com murderish for 30% off. It feels like the worst day ever when you run out of TV shows to binge. Okay, that's a little dramatic, but it does suck. I recently found Acorn TV and I highly recommend it if you're looking for something new and riveting to watch. Acorn TV is a British streaming service that offers exclusive premieres and originals you can't get anywhere else. There are a bunch of really great TV shows from around the world, award-winning mysteries, dramas, comedies, you name it. They are constantly releasing new content, so you'll never run out of things to watch. If you're someone who cozies up with a classic mystery novel, then you will love the newest Acorn TV original, Whitstable Pearl. The show is based on Julie Wasmer's best-selling novels and follows a restaurant owner turned local detective who, in her first case, finds the body of a close friend. If you're ready for a streaming service that offers new stories, new characters, and breathtaking sceneries every week, do what I did and get Acorn TV. Try Acorn TV free for 30 days by going to acorn.tv and use my promo code MURDERISH. But you have to enter the code in all lowercase letters. That's A-C-O-R-N TV, code MURDERISH, to get your first 30 days free. At 7.41 p.m., the first 911 call came in from Lena, who was using Richard's cell phone. According to the Boston Globe, the dispatcher would later report the voice on the other line was muffled and incomprehensible. Lena started to give the dispatcher her address, but the line went dead. Four other calls were made to 911 from Richard's phone between 7.06 and 7.46 p.m. 
all of the calls were either disconnected or hung up before they could go through. In a last-ditch effort to get help, Richard sent a series of text messages to Matthias Heidenrich, a research scientist and friend of the couple who lived nearby. The broken-up text messages read, Call 111, gunman, in-house, please, now, serious. Unfortunately, Matthias didn't notice the text until about a half hour later, and when he read them, he was confused by their meaning and couldn't tell if they were part of some weird prank. Matthias showed the text messages to his girlfriend, Fabiana, who insisted he reach out to Richard and Lena. When both of them didn't answer their phones, Fabiana contacted the building's concierge to inform them of the text messages mentioning a gunman. It wasn't until 8.30 that night that the concierge called 911. When officers arrived at the scene a little under 10 minutes later, Texira approached them in a hallway just outside the apartment. He appeared to be brandishing a weapon. Officers fired three shots, injuring him in the hand, leg, and abdomen. According to Detective Sean Wallace, as quoted in the Boston Globe, while Texira was being handcuffed, he said, There's dead bodies. You guys are going to die. The suspect was taken to a nearby hospital to have his injuries treated. In the meantime, an investigation began with Texira as the sole suspect. He had, after all, flat out told officers at the crime scene about the bodies inside. When detectives entered the dark apartment, they were faced with a scene that was both gruesome and bizarre. Lena and Richard were both found lying in a pool of blood, their wrists bound in duct tape. Both of their throats had been slashed. Scrawled on the walls in agitated handwriting were the phrases, He killed my wife 15 years ago and payback. Even more bizarre, Richard's eyes had been crossed out in photographs that adorned the walls. It seemed like revenge was a potential motive, but for what? When national news broke that the doctors had been brutally murdered, friends, family, and patients were devastated. Both Richard and Lena contributed so much to the world, it didn't make sense that someone would want them dead. On Tuesday, May 9th, Richard's family released a statement to media outlets. As quoted by ABC News, it asserted that Richard and Lena were loving, vital people whose joy for life was infectious and love for family absolute. They thrived on traveling, experiencing cultures and making friends in every port. As such, their loss will be felt by family and loved ones across the world. Their passing is a tragedy beyond measure, and our lives will forever be changed. However, we want to remember Richard and Lena for who they were, not how they died. Their impact in the world, in the lives of those who they loved, those who loved them, and the patients that they cared for, is the real newsworthy story. We will remember and celebrate their passion, gentility, and extraordinary kindness forever. At the time of Lena's death, her family asked that donations be made to her favorite charity, Nicole. The nonprofit supports social initiatives for children in Lena's native Columbia. Richard's family encouraged donations to the organization Doctors Without Borders on the couple's behalf. 
Both medical practices memorialize the respective doctors on their websites. North Shore Pain Management, the practice Richard co-founded, wrote on their website, he was a valued member of the medical community and a tremendous advocate for his patients. He can never be replaced and will never be forgotten. One woman mentioned in the Boston Globe had been a patient of Dr. Field for over 12 years. She reacted by saying, I feel like I lost a friend. Mass Eye and Ear, the practice where Lena worked, released a touching tribute video on their homepage titled Remembering Lena. The hospital's communications department released a statement that read, There are no words to capture the profound loss we feel, but many of us have found great comfort through shared reflections and stories about Lena, her infectious love of life, and her roles as a compassionate clinician, caregiver, and friend. She treated every patient with a deep compassion that was noticed and appreciated by their families. It was tragic beyond measure to consider the special care their patients would be deprived of now that Dr. Field and Dr. Belenos were gone. The couple dreamed of opening a clinic for the poor in the Bahamas, according to the Boston Globe. Countless people were impacted by this tragedy. Boston Police Sergeant Detective Michael Devane and Detective Michael Walsh led the investigation. The investigative team started by retrieving security footage from the apartment building to try to understand how Texera had even gotten into the building. According to CNN, at around 4 p.m. on the day of the crime, a figure wearing gloves, a hooded jacket, and a bright yellow shirt made his way through the building's garage. He was also wearing a backpack, which would play a substantial role in the crime later. It became clear that Texera used knowledge he acquired from working in the building years before. A special key needed to be used in the elevator to gain access to the penthouse floor, but there was also a stairwell in the garage that led there. Detectives believed Texera had been waiting for Lena in the hallway outside of the apartment when she arrived home from work. A set of keys were found on the floor in front of the apartment door, which officers had used to gain entry. There were also packages strewn across the hallway floor, suggesting a struggle had occurred. When Richard arrived home, there was no indication that an intruder was inside holding Lena hostage. After taking Texera into custody, investigators also spotted two bags outside the apartment door. One of them was stuffed with Lena's valuable jewelry. The other was a backpack containing two replica guns, a knife, and a roll of duct tape. It was obvious the perpetrator's plan had been to intimidate the couple with the fake guns into doing whatever he demanded. Initial questioning was done from a hospital bed at Tufts Medical Center, where Texera was being treated for his gunshot wounds. As reported by NBC News Boston, in his statement to officers, he said, He killed her. I did nothing wrong. I'll tell you everything I know. I know at this point nobody will believe me, but I'll stand my ground on every single truth. That's when he spun a tale that seemed incredibly far-fetched to detectives. He and Lena had allegedly been involved in an affair. He said it began when he worked in her building, 
and continued for three or four months after. Texera claimed Lena had told him Richard was abusive. According to Texera's account, which was cited in the Boston Herald, when the doctor came home that evening and found them together, he flew into a jealous rage. Richard had allegedly stabbed Lena to death while her secret lover hid in the bathroom. When Richard redirected his fury, Texera supposedly had no choice but to defend himself. As quoted in the Daily Mirror, he told detectives, I had to stab him. I wanted to do to him what he did to her. Investigators reacted to this tall tale incredulously. There were no signs of an affair or that Richard Field had been remotely abusive to his fiancée. What's more, Texera couldn't even give the police Lena's correct name, referring to her as Linda, when he gave his statement. Not knowing her correct name made the supposed affair seem highly unlikely. This wasn't Texera's first brush with the law. In fact, he had only been out of jail for a few weeks at the time of the double murder. According to a Boston Globe article, he had targeted the same bank in two 2014 robberies, passing notes to tellers and demanding money while carrying a replica gun. In September of 2016, as part of a plea deal, Texera's charges were downgraded from a felony to a misdemeanor in exchange for a guilty plea on two counts of larceny. Judge Lisa Grant sentenced him to 364 days at the Suffolk County House of Correction. If his sentence had been just a day longer, he would have been facing deportation. Why the judge exhibited leniency is unknown. After serving his sentence, Texera was homeless and desperate for money. That's likely when he recalled the affluent building where he once worked, the McKellen. On May 8th, while resting in his hospital bed, Texera was indicted for two counts of first-degree murder, two counts of armed robbery, kidnapping by confinement, and one count of armed home invasion. The Associated Press reported that for most of the bedside arraignment, 30-year-old Texera kept his eyes closed. A more formal arraignment in court would occur several months later on July 10th. Texera entered a plea of not guilty on all counts. He was held without bail at Suffolk County Jail and was assigned public defender Stephen Sack. While the families of the victims awaited trial, they took matters into their own hands. In early August of 2017, they filed a civil lawsuit for wrongful death. The Court Square Press Building Condominium Trust, who owned the McKellen Building, and Bayberry Management Company, who managed it, were both named along with the security company at the time. The lawsuit alleged building security was inadequate and enabled the crime to happen. The door to the staircase in the garage that led up to the penthouse was supposed to be locked at all times. It clearly was not locked on the evening of the murders. As mentioned by CBS News Boston, the lawsuit also claimed the security guard on duty that night took 20 minutes to call 911 after being alerted of the presence of a gunman. According to the Boston Globe, in early 2017, Highbridge Concierge took over the contract for the building security services. But Palladian, the security firm that had hired Texera, 
hadn't informed the new company of their former employee's criminal past. In fact, Texera had passed Palladian's background and reference checks. The robbery charges had not been filed until 2016, after the company had already employed him. Texera's short-term employment had equipped him with enough knowledge to identify gaps in the building's security. The 11-page complaint against Palladian, Highbridge, Bayberry, and the Trust contained charges of wrongful death, conscious pain and suffering, and criminal negligence. No follow-up stories were released by media outlets, so it's uncertain if the case was dismissed or led to the family being awarded a settlement. The two-week-long trial began on November 19, 2019, in Suffolk Superior Court, with Judge Mitchell Kaplan presiding. Richard and Lena's loved ones filled the courtroom. Lena's mother, Ana Delia Vergara, even flew in from Spain to attend the trial. In opening statements, Assistant District Attorney John Pappas focused on how nonsensical Texera's version of events would come across. Pappas was quoted in the Boston Globe as saying, It makes no sense compared to all of the other evidence in this case. In Stephen Sachs' opening statements for the defense, he stated there was no evidence that the defendant had broken into the couple's penthouse. Jury members heard the only 911 call that had gone through. When Lena was cut off before she could give the dispatcher the full address, her godmother, Amanda Gibbs, testified that she recognized Lena's voice on the call. The recording of Texera's bedside statements were also played in court. As documented by the Boston Globe, Texera can be heard telling the lead detectives in a whisper, I'm homeless. I got no money. That's my worst mistake because it's an opportunity for me to make money. That's all it was. Despite that admission implying money was the central motive, defense attorneys maintained Texera's story about the affair. The allegations of infidelity deeply upset the victim's family members. Assistant DA John Pappas would later remark to the Boston Globe that it was not enough for him to destroy their lives, he had to destroy their names as well. Yet video surveillance showed Texeria lurking outside the doctor's building, indicating premeditation. Other footage captured him sneaking into the building's garage while a car entered. Texera could be seen wearing the same yellow shirt crime scene investigators confirmed was stained with the doctor's blood. This shirt was exhibited in court. A black sharpie had also been found inside the defendant's backpack, which he likely used to write the menacing phrases on the wall and marked photos of the couple. Texera denied any knowledge of how the writing got there. Detectives concluded he had scrawled the writing to throw off the investigation and make it seem like a revenge killing. Medical examiner Richard Atkinson testified about the victim's injuries, displaying some particularly gruesome crime scene photos as he did so. Lena's mother, Anna, was sobbing so loudly she had to be escorted from the courtroom. I'm going to be traveling out of town soon and I'll definitely be taking my Hedgren Aura backpack with me. 
Hedgren, an essential bags and travel gear company born in Belgium, puts emphasis on freedom of movement in every product they offer. Every single Hedgren bag is made with smart functionality, intuitive design, freedom of movement, and their products are affordable. For my out-of-state trip, I needed a functional backpack that could fit my laptop and numerous accessories, and one that was comfortable to wear and travel with. My Hedgren Aura backpack is water repellent, has a padded laptop inner pocket, and comes with a two-year warranty. And not to mention, it looks good too. The backpack is lightweight and has numerous pockets to keep my things organized and easy to access. And the backpack feels durable, like it's going to last me a very long time. I also love that all of Hedgren's bags, whether it's a backpack, crossbody, or tote, come with a Hedgren cube dangle that signifies strength, inclusiveness, and harmony. Order a bag and receive a 20% discount by going to hedgren.com murderish and use promo code murderish20 at checkout. Enjoy free shipping with your purchase. That's H-E-D-G-R-E-N dot com slash murderish for 20% off and promo code murderish20 at checkout for free shipping. If there's ever been a year to make the dads in your life feel loved and appreciated on Father's Day, it's this one. Many of us, myself included, had to be away from our fathers and father figures during the pandemic. It was such a rough time for my dad, not being able to see his family for such a long time. That's why I'm honoring him with a heartfelt, sentimental gift the whole family can cherish together forever. StoryWorth is an online service that helps your dad or father figure share stories by answering interesting questions about their lives and personal thoughts. It's a really great way to stay connected and engage with them, especially if you can't spend time with them in person. StoryWorth will email your father figure a different story prompt each week with questions like, what things are you proudest of in life? you'll get to know your father figure on a deeper level. Through StoryWorth, I learned that my grandfather always encouraged my dad's artistic ability by gifting him a fresh set of pencils when his were all worn down. After one year, StoryWorth will gather all of your father figure's stories along with photos into a keepsake book. It's such a thoughtful and unique gift that allowed me to learn more about my dad and make our bond even tighter. Give your dad the most meaningful gift this Father's Day with StoryWorth. Get started right away with no shipping required by going to storyworth.com murderish. You'll get $10 off your first purchase. That's storyworth.com murderish for $10 off. According to Atkinson's testimony, Lena's autopsy had revealed significant blunt force injuries to her face and head. She had also been stabbed 24 times in the neck. Some of the cuts had fatally severed her internal jugular vein. Richard had died from a single stab wound to his neck that severed his corroded artery. Both victims had also sustained injuries confirming their hands had been bound prior to death. In total, 300 evidentiary exhibits were presented at trial with nearly 30 witnesses giving testimony. Among those taking the stand was the friend Richard had frantically text messaged while the crime unfolded. 
Matthias's testimony undermined Texira's attempts to vilify Richard's character. There were no witnesses for the defense. In Sack's closing statements, published in the Boston Globe, he said, I never told you he didn't kill Richard Field because he did. He killed him in self-defense and that's not murder. Whether real or imagined, he believed he was having a relationship with Lena Bolanos. Sometimes the hardest thing to believe is the truth. Assistant DA John Pappas restated the absurdity of the assailant's alibi. According to the Boston Globe, Pappas ended his statement by commiserating, Lena will forever be Richard Field's fiancé, but never his bride. After closing arguments, Texira had to be removed from the courtroom twice due to inappropriate outbursts. According to Boston 25 News, in his initial outburst, the defendant lunged at assistant DA John Pappas while making threats about the prosecutor's wife. The news outlet quoted Texira as shouting, Hey Pappas, you better hope I never get out of jail. The jury had not been in the courtroom at the time. The second outburst was evidently intended to taunt the victim's loved ones. As cited in the Boston Globe, Texira turned to Richard's mother, Kate Martin Zamora, and shouted, Want to know his last words? A group of officers rushed over to silence him and dragged him out of the courtroom. The judge called a brief recess before the verdict was announced. A jury of nine women and three men deliberated for nearly eight hours over the course of two days before reaching a decision. While detained in a nearby room to avoid yet another hurtful outburst, Texira heard the trial verdict read aloud. He declined the opportunity to make a statement, merely nodding his head before being taken into custody. Bompamim Texira was found guilty on two counts of first-degree felony murder. The 33-year-old was also found guilty on all other counts, home invasion, kidnapping, and armed robbery making a grand total of seven charges. A sentencing hearing came two days later. December 11, 2019 was a day of redemption and emotional exhaustion for the friends and families of Field and Bolanos. Three people came forward to deliver victim impact statements. Lena's mother, Anna, Richard's younger brother, Jason, and Lena's godparents, Michael and Amanda Gibbs, who gave a joint statement. Again, Texira was not present for this because they wanted to protect the victim's loved ones. He watched the hearing live through video conferencing software. Michael Gibbs read his statement in the courtroom, as documented by CBS News Boston. We've been grateful to have Lena in our lives for so many years as a daughter to us and sister to our sons. Our family treasures so many things we have done together. Holidays, trips to Montreal, birthday celebrations, dinners, parties, and just hanging out. Lena's dedication and her love for her profession made her unique. Her true passion was helping the children patients, or as she called them, her babies. With the assistance of an interpreter, Lena's mother spoke next, focusing on the powerful love between the couple. As reported in the Boston Globe, Anna conveyed, She loved Richard very much, and he loved her. They were a gorgeous couple. He was the love of her life, 
and they will love each other forever in heaven. She added, I just want to thank God for choosing me as a mother of that exceptional being. I will live eternally grateful and very proud of all that she accomplished in her short life. Jason Field, Richard's brother, shared that Lena had been planning a surprise trip that included family and friends joining them to celebrate Richard's upcoming 50th birthday. Lena planned to take him to Meridius Island in the Indian Ocean. The grief-stricken sibling was quoted by the Boston Globe as saying, We try and keep Richard and Lena alive now by believing they are traveling to some faraway exotic place and they will soon be back to share with us their incredible experiences. At long last, for committing the brutal double homicide, Texira was sentenced to two consecutive life sentences without the possibility of parole. As a formality, the judge also sentenced him to 25 years for armed robbery, 20 years for home invasion, and 9 years for kidnapping. Texira will be incarcerated through his final days in the state's maximum security prison in Walpole. While the outcome of the trial gave the doctor's loved ones some sense of closure, they still struggle to understand why this happened to them. Michael Gibbs, Lena's godfather, remarked to the Boston Globe, There is no answer. Some people, for whatever reason, they become evil in their ways. Several editorials emerged throughout the case criticizing the plea deal Texeria had been offered for his 2016 crimes. If the West African native had been deported after these two offenses, he would not have been present to commit the murders. Ultimately, a slew of factors contributed to this crime happening. We can blame the building's security flaws, the judge who kept the repeat offender in this country, or the plight of rising up from poverty, especially when you're an immigrant. Yes, these factors contributed, but it was one man's callous decision to take the lives of two innocent people who were just trying to make positive contributions to the world. Though the killer has been held responsible for his actions and punished, the families of Richard Field and Lena Belenos will, in a deep sense, be punished for the rest of their lives. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Murderish. Don't forget to subscribe to or follow my new podcast, Judgy and Juryish. It's available wherever you listen to podcasts. Check out Murderish.com if you want to buy Murderish merch like t-shirts, face masks, and more. If you can't get enough Murderish, subscribe to our Patreon service to get immediate access to bonus content only available to Patreon subscribers. There's a link to go behind the scenes and become a Patreon subscriber at Murderish.com. If you haven't joined the Murderish Facebook discussion group, do it. We have so much fun in there. You can also find me on Twitter at MurderishPod and on Instagram at MurderishPodcast. If you'd like to support the show in other ways, tell a friend about Murderish or write a review in your favorite podcast app. Murderish is mixed and mastered by John and Jessica Buchanis of Audio Editing Solutions. Music is by Nico of We Talk of Dreams. This episode was researched and written by Allison Schwartz. Stick around after the closing music to hear a list of sources used for this episode. As always, Ishers, thank you for joining me on another episode of Murderish.
And remember, listening to this podcast doesn't make you a murderer. It just means you're murder-ish. Sources for this episode include an Associated Press WBUR article dated December 10, 2019, a Canadian Press article in the Newspaper Source Plus database dated July 10, 2017, a CBS News Boston article dated December 13, 2019, a CBS 58 Boston article by CNN dated December 6, 2019, a print article by Tristan Kirk Quartz in the Evening Standard dated December 11, 2019, a CNN.com article by Lauren Del Valle dated December 13, 2019, an article in the Boston Globe by Katie Edmondson and Nicole Fleming dated August 7, 2017, an article in The Guardian dated May 11, 2017 by Jamilis Lardy. A Toronto Star article dated May 9, 2017 by Denise Lavoie. An NBC News article dated December 6, 2019 by David K. Lee. A U.S. News article dated May 8, 2017 by Juliet Linderman. Information found at the Mass General Brigham Hospital website at focus.masseyeandear.org dated May 16, 2017. A CNN.com article dated November 25, 2019 by Christina Maxiris. An article in the Boston Herald dated August 8, 2017 by Bob McGovern. A CBS News Boston article dated May 8, 2017 by Louisa Moeller. A print article in the Boston Globe dated December 6, 2019 by Shelley Murphy. Another article in the Boston Globe dated December 11, 2019 by Shelley Murphy. A print article in the Boston Globe dated December 10, 2019 by Shelley Murphy and John R. Element. An article in the Boston Globe dated November 25, 2019 by John R. Element and Shelley Murphy. Information found at nspaincare.com dated 2017. An article in the Daily Mirror dated February 16, 2020 by Gail Shortland. An article in the Boston Herald dated December 9, 2019 by Marie Sanislo. An article in the Boston Herald dated November 21, 2019 by Aaron Tiernan. An article at WCVB.com dated May 9, 2017.